This is the 111th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Berhertz. With me are my dear co-hosts, Robinson Sien and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hi, hello. How do you do? Good evening, friends. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top Tech app. As this episode has a strong Bilbo Baggins aura to it, I'd like to inform you both that earlier today I picked up my playset of the One Ring. So, things are really magical here at Command Center. As for content, this episode will be fully devoted to recent paper play. Let's get it on, guys. Are the beans growing as they should, Robin? Yes, they are. I played the Beanstalk last Thursday and succeeded to make another 4-0. Oh my god, he's on a roll. So uh, strong deck delivers, yes indeed. And uh, my first game was up against Infect, which can be a little bit tricky. I played some test games, like you have a lot of removal. You have almost as much removal as they have creatures, but you don't have any wasteland or other ways to get rid of the Inkbus Nexus, and you can only remove it when it's activated on their turn. And uh, one single terrifying Legolas Reflexes can just shut down your dreams there. You have blockers, of course, for the flyers. I removed his threats in the first game and then landed a big Merktide, and that sealed the deal. On the second turn, I have some board cards in, and he goes all in on an Ink Moth attack. And I dress down, so I take something Ooh. like 8 damage Oof. or 10 damage, <laughs> which was really nice. Post-board it feels quite okay, and I'm considering going up to two dress downs in this deck. I think it's it's really good also against some of the other strong decks in the meta. So I also played the four-color bean deck. I made some small changes, so I actually do play the double dress down. And I cut some helpful creatures in the sideboard, like Opposition Agent. There's no Leovold in my list. And round one, I am paired up against the Mirror that do play Opposition Agent and Leovold in the sideboard. But, you know, game one, I move to six and I'm on the play. This is a very, you know, resource-intensive matchup. So I move to a six where I could Lorien Revealed on turn one to jam a Beanstalk. And I actually outvalue my opponent on the draw. Not on, on the play, I mean, with a Beanstalk hand. In game two, I draw exactly zero Beanstalks. And my opponent's Leobold is a big pain because I'm sitting with Brainstorm and things like that in my hand. Doesn't feel great. So he eventually wins. Game three is a really tight game. Uh, We go back and forth, but my opponent keeps on jamming these Beanstalks. At one point in the game, I have not yet seen my first Beanstalk and he has resolved three of his. Then eventually I rip one. So I play it and immediately jam Lorien Revealed. And this kind of puts us equally <laughs> in the board again. Like my opponent had had too many, you know, value plays. So eventually I do get outgrinded. I draw a lot of lands when I try to, you know, get ahead on my tempo again. But it's too little too late. So I lose my first round. How long is that mirror? We were done with the first two games and had 28 minutes out of 45 on the clock. Oh, wow. Uh, we're both very fast pilots. I think we ended the last game with like seven or eight minutes on the clock. When we know that we've lost, we usually scoop. Sure. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the reasonable thing to do, I think. Well done. Second round, Robin. Yeah, I'm up against 
the painter and this is a newish player i haven't seen him in the lgs before so re- really fun to see new players continuously streaming towards legacy the best format oh, the best but uh, of course a little bit of a harder deck to start with i think mono red painter not the easiest one i do play slow and conservatively against this opponent i, I don't mean slow as in slow play but like not trying to finish the games too fast and taking any risks. So I play cautiously, like keep up removal and deploy threats when needed. I managed to dismantle the painter player and I have this, like when you keep up removal all the time, you can have this nice place where he has a painter in play and he tries to red elemental blast one of my beanstalks and I can plow the painter in response and suddenly the beanstalk is not the blue card anymore. That's so dirty. Some of those like blow out the place I, I managed to to take it home 2-0. What about your second round, Christopher? I was playing against Scam. I think this matchup is pretty good. It felt pretty good. The same thing here with the Infect situation. I have as many fre- uh, like removal spells as they have threats. There are situations where this matchup can get scary, but whenever you find that first Swords to Plowshares, you feel so good. Sure. No, this wasn't Scam. This was Shadow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so like even better. My opponent revealed his hands after both games and he literally drew like the wrong half of the deck at every single instance. So like sitting with reanimation spells when I had, you know, dealt with things by exiling them or just triple death shadow when they were at too much life. And when they finally got down to a good life total, you just... Point one sorts the plowshares at the death shadow, and it's just s- such a bad feeling. So that was a 2-0. Nice. It does seem like a nice matchup. I mean, I haven't heard much about Scam or Shadow sort of in the later months. Is it because everyone's just picking up the beans? Yeah, that might be it. I think Delver has kind of been more and more heav- heavily played thanks to the rug version. So I think that more people are gravitating towards those decks when, you know, Swords to Plowshares is a big player in the format again. So I think there's a new printing, the new Stalakite Stalker that has somewhat revitalized the archetype a little bit. It, I think it's pretty good with a, de- a deck that plays like more permanence than the Delver decks usually do because like every time you put the permanent in your graveyard you get the trigger and it grows out of Bowmaster range pretty fast. So I think maybe the deck can come back but I agree that Delver sort of had taken its role a little bit. So on to our third round then Robin. Yeah, so I was up against a pretty cool brew. It was a Naya up the Beanstalk Valakut deck. Ooh, <laughs> tell us everything. <laughs> All right, so uh, it had Beanstalks as the value engine and uh, Solitudes and Furies as removal. It played Reclaimers and uh, possibly crop rotations with a little bit of land package and a green sun package to retrieve them obviously and i think like the top end card was probably titan to fetch the valakuts and also that sort of druid card that turns all the lands into every land oh yeah the dryad of elysium grove or whatever it's called exactly yeah that one so a little bit of combo a little bit of control uh, pretty grindy deck. In the first game he lands Reclaimers which start attacking me but I get ahead on Beans and get to draw more cards and eventually I also find a little bit of removal and creatures to put 
blockers in front of him. And he's not quite there with the Valakut combo. Like when you get to draw engine going, you just remove everything that enters the battlefield, basically. In the second game, I have to mull two hands because they don't have enough lands. Because he has also random map excavator plus wasteland. So it's a little bit dicey if you don't feel <laughs> that your mana base is, is working with you. I really don't get anything going and he just overwhelms me with creatures and Valakut triggers. I think he deals six damage with Valakut triggers at some point. Sure. Then in game three, we both have bean hands, but I have forces and removal for his beans. So he never gets to have more than one bean in play at the time. And I never play any creatures. So he doesn't get full use of his beans because he can't place the fury or the... I mean, he, he could play them as as beaters i guess but like his answers doesn't really line up against what i'm doing yeah it doesn't feel great playing a fury to an empty board to have it swords to plowshare just to draw a card like it feels bad i really felt the power of having blue in this deck when i also can just counter spell on the things that matters in this kind of matchup whether it's a creature that will waste lock me or if it's a bean or whatever it may be it's you have so much agency over the game when when you play blue and forces so i managed to win the the third game and win 2-0 against naya bean valakut a really cool deck Super cool. Yeah, so my third like third opponent was uh, Grixis Delver. Game one, we have a pretty, you know, classic control versus Delver. They play threats. I try and answer them. And eventually I get into a situation where I can ponder and set up a triumph of St. Catherine. And it carries me home. Oh, well, my opponent with two cards in hand when I'm sitting at three cards uh, scoops when I uh, miracle the uh, triumph i was like in double bolt range but you know one swing with the uh, catherine is too much so i win that game in the second game my opponent just mega delvers me out it's one of those classic drc wasteland you delver have like a two free free flyers very early and just yeah mm. i play a dress down in their upkeep at the situation when they had two DRCs and an unflipped Delvers. I play it in the upkeep just to, you know, buy time, which worked, but I still died. (laughs) Game three, I flood pretty heavily, which is bad because my opponent also plays Price Progress. There's this really weird dynamic where you play, I play two basics in a deck. Like you don't want to just put lands into play but i i do because you know i have to be able to have big turns if i if i should swing the tide eventually i just i think i just get beat down by not having any card engines i don't find a single beanstalk which is pretty good in the matchup i find no Catherine's and uh, it's just rough i think they find a pretty early bowmaster too which hurts me a bit so eventually i get beaten down yeah that feels like one of the troubles with the deck that you have four value engine cards and when they are online you draw a lot of cards but when they when you don't find them you can be really anemic with only one-for-one removal and one-for-one interaction that might be one of the benefits of the uh other version so there are different philosophies and some of them are playing uro with a f- one or two copies of four fairlingas it's a way to you know have other axes to get to fight on the uro will of course like help you find beanstalk quicker than uh, 
St. Catherine, but they do very different things. And Rob and I talked about this, that, you know, playing Uro and Merktide is very taxing on the mana, uh, on the graveyard. That's why I think St. Catherine is such a great card. It triggers the Beanstalk. In the build. Yeah. yeah, it triggers the Beanstalk. It has life gain. It's a very big body that against Delver, like when they trade resources for that, it's still in the top seven cards of your library. It's very hard to, you know, fight that fairly. You have to fight it on the stack pretty much. Yeah, and, and also another thing with like the Uro version, like I think that the dress downs in the main deck make a little bit more sense there as well, because you can like dress down in the end step, tap up, make your third land drop and just slam an Uro and be ready for 6-6 six, six attacks in the following turn. Like in this deck, you don't really have any benefits with the dress down unless you face up against a matchup where it's really good. And sometimes it can be a little bit clunky in the in the game one where... If you face something like a Delver or someone who doesn't really care. On the other hand, it's really good against the hardest matchups, I think. Yeah. So it makes sense to play it. Speaking of hardest matchup, in my fourth round, I'm up against Turbo Muxus. Whoops. <laughs> Here they come. <laughs> Which is really hard, of course. Hop on your motorcycles, boys. Yeah, you're very reliant on uh, the counter magic in this kind of matchup. And compared to the initiative deck and uh, like Monored Stompy and all of that, like this is such a good Cavern of Souls deck. Oh, yes. I mean, it's, it's terrifying to play against. But I get a little bit lucky, I think. I think game one, I have a plow. I think I win the die roll. And I have a plow for his first attempt to uh, make a sticky goblin. Then I think he follows up with a bombardier, which I can flash in a bowmaster to like ping and double block. So even if he flings like an artifact or something, it will die. <laughs> it has mana, so I need to d- double block it. So I just sacrifice an, an orc to get rid of it. And then I find a bean and then I find a tide. And as soon as the tide is on the board, like the game flips a little bit and... You can start racing. So I actually managed to steal game one. And then in game two, he has boarded in a few cards. So he starts with Thorn of Amethyst, the sphere effect that doesn't tax his creatures. So he starts with that on his turn one, and then he follows it up with a Magus. (laughs) Very rough. I I, I play a few turns, but I I just don't have (laughs) the things that I need (laughs) to solve that situation. But in the third game, I get to be on the play. And he has a similar start where he has a sphere and then a magus following up with a bombardier. But now I have, like, I I can get my mana under me thanks to, like, making the first land drop. And I have one for one removal and, and I have some of the counter magic back in because he has switched out of goblins and into land hate so to say and and those are forcible so forces are back in lucky for me he misses quite a few land drops Mm. so he operates on an ancient tomb and uh, like spirit guides and that kind of things to to make his plays as soon as i have like like stemmed the tide i can land a merc tide and uh, start beating it down so i actually managed to win against turbo moxus but i should i should also say that i have a very dedicated board i have three whole three of hydroblasts dress down and other things that sort of deal with the one-to-one and then i also have two terminus to board in for like the brainstorm into terminus hands like the the combination of very fast clock a little bit of comboy almost threat and and then all the blood moons is is really terrifying from this deck it seems like a deck that you really need to respect yeah yeah it's also scary that they can just you know cavern on human and play magus sure because it's you know 
it's gonna hurt you more than them. Yeah, it's uh, it's nasty. Yes, but four zero, eh? Yeah, yeah, again. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was up against also a very tricky matchup in the last round, and this was Jeskai Control, and this is tricky because Narset is a pretty good card. Teferi is a pretty good card. And one Blood Moon in the main is also pretty hard. <laughs> we play game one and we, you know, have a back and forth. And at the round, maybe turn six or so, they jam a Blood Moon. I have no counter magic, so this is pretty rough. I have my basic island in play. And, uh, you know, I need to get to that basic planes so I can uh, use my Leyline Bindings to get rid of this Blood Moon. 10, 15 turns later, I have still not found my planes. <laughs> and my opponent raises their hand and calls a judge. And my opponent tells the judge, I'm not supposed to have this card in the main deck. And mm. it's another Blood Moon. Oh. So they had the round before, they had played against four color control and not sided out the second Blood Moon. And this is actually massive in our matchup. So I was a bit, you know, like it's casual. There's no good remedy for this. Like it's it sucks for me that it happened. But pretty much what happened was, yeah, put the Blood Moon in the sideboard and draw another card. But you know, having the double Blood Moon outs against me in game one was super hard. But props to my opponent for calling the judge when they noticed that this happened. I really appreciate that. Even if it sucked, I was really happy about, you know, the integrity. Game two. Game two, I super overwhelmed them with uh, card advantage uh, you know you play some beans you fetch like i fetched a planes turn one and then i proceeded to uh, lure and reveal for my basic island on like turn five or whatever because i had like lots of time but like the blood moon was never an issue like i had too much resources and now i have hydroblasts as well then Game three, my opponent sticks a Teferi, which is pretty nasty. Mm -hmm. Problematic. It allowed them to stick a Narset. I could solve the Narset, but they played another one. After that, I solved the Teferi, and they played another Teferi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's very tricky. Eventually, they with the Teferi, they get a Blood Moon in play. And I have used three of my four Leyline Bindings on the Planeswalkers, you know, to <laughs> try and solve something. But me having two Beans in play, whenever I played the Bindings, they had a Narset, so I didn't actually get ahead on cards, mm. which is very rough. Eventually, you know, I don't find the answers that I need, and my opponent gets to do a very, very massive Four Lingus. You know, with the Teferi backup, I don't have much to say about it. Like, I'm dead. So that happens. Game one was a bit of a shame, like I said, but props to my opponent for calling the judge. So yeah, one free. Like, it's not great, but I learned a lot. Since you're both on this deck, how do you... I mean, we, we all know how it fares in the on the big stage. It's been taking heads and names and such... But in the local sort of uh, meta, do you feel that the deck sort of faces something different? Because it's it's a local paper meta. You know, there's always going to be these guys with, hey, this is my oops deck. And this is the these are the cards I have that I play with, for example. Sort of does that skew the power of the deck because it's in a different meta? Or is it sort of very powerful on its own? I think it's almost beneficial if the meta is, you know more yankier decks some some spicy brew because the primary goal of this deck is just outpowering your opponent with value and if your opponent isn't a very lean delver deck 
or like a turbo Muxus deck or things like that that tries to end the game very efficiently, then I think it's very much in your favor. It's very hard to outgrind this deck. And I love very intricate, bad combos. In a tournament, I would hate to bring like a not super tuned combo deck to try and beat this because it can always recover the card. Pitching, force of wills and stuff like that, it it can always catch up. Yeah, it it feels really powerful and like really punishing against a lot of the metal just like powering through so much removal so much counter magic and just card draw and then slam a merc tide 8-8 and attack for 8 each turn it feels very powerful i do think that the meta has not really responded to the kind of cards that beanstalk play yet like half your removal is enchantments that will linger on the battlefield you can get back your creature by just removing them right i think cards that do that they will be more played in the future i think because this deck is taking scalps and settling into a tier one status i think i think it is a tier one deck i think yeah this and the delver decks are probably on top of the on top of the hill right now yeah and and i think like if if you really want to beat this kind of deck you can you do that with as you said narset effects can be tricky to deal with like you have your bow masters to flash in but they don't always do the job there are a lot of enchantment mass removal that could just reset the game and gain you a little bit of creatures back that can be really troublesome to deal with i think it's going to be hard i don't think that this deck will be oppressive so to say i think it will be a strong player yeah it's not a countertop situation you're inviting the play like your opponent to end the game as quickly as possible because you might end up in a situation where you're just severely outvaluing the opponent with this deck so it's it's not as you know yeah this is countertop terminus bad where you know creature decks can't really commit to the board or non-abrupt decay decks can't really you know (laughs) feel good but on the flip side you are sort of telling your opponent that these are your 15 minutes to shine and after that it's me it has an insanely strong late game the fire design decks needs to put the tempo like put the hurt in the dirt against these decks a lot of ways that we are seeing that like the turbo muxus deck is a great example on how you can combat this with cavern of souls and also the the is it bombardier yeah yeah the bombardier is insane like it deals so much damage getting on the board and putting on an, an actual good clock is key. I hate that I'm saying this now because we were memeing about Leyline Binding back in the day when <laughs> Wizards made their, their printing. We weren't memeing, we were pushing We this were part. sincere, I mean. It was irony. We were just, you know, we were having a, doing a bit. But Leyline Binding in this deck is sort of like the problem I had with Prismatic Ending back in the day that it's a shame that you know this one mana plus card can solve a carpet can solve a vial can solve a drc but now we have this card uh, that in the late game for two or one mana depending on your build can solve a maritlage can solve a grizzlebrand can solve a minskimbu and that is crazy when you think about it and especially with the beans when you get to draw a card also like you find you find more removal it's very good so i think this deck already has the targets on it on its back i've seen more jeskai control making a stand against this deck 
Teferi main deck blood moons and things like that. I think that will probably, we might see more of that. I wouldn't be shocked if the mono red stompy deck would make a grand return soon. Like there are initiative decks, but most of those are, you know, red white. I wouldn't be shocked if just like a mono red version would become very, very strong in this meta with a lot of blood moons and things like that just to really make like punish the mana base and things like that we shall see how that unfolds and that is all we have for this episode sweden is still fucking freezing we're breaking national records and everything so if you like community stuff please join our discord and share your best recipe for hot chocolate you can find the link in the episode description where can our listeners find you guys on social media robin i am on x Uh, my handle is jacka underscore bo and you'll find me there as well, but not on his account. You can find me at Monolith MTG. And I'm also on the same platform as Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 111th episode of Sokum Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson, Sien, and Christopher Wikström. I am Victor Bernhardt. Many thanks to you for listening. The great and mysterious friends has written their music. If you want to listen more to them, you can find their profile on Spotify. We'll be going now and bid you all a very fond farewell.